The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, well, ah, we're doing this again, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're showing people things that we don't want to show them and uh, not showing them the things we want to. They're there. <laughs> SonsLibertyMedia.com. There you're going to see two videos on the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. So actually, it's a educational video. He was off yesterday. I don't know if he's still going over his book or he had something to do. But educational video there about the mayors who are luring the illegal aliens into their cities on the people's dime, by the way. Um, <clears throat> that's there. So Bradley will either be live or there'll be educational video at 3 o'clock today. Uh, you can catch that at sonslibertymedia.com. The right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon and uh, click on that. Join us in the chat on Rumble. we got a lot of friends over there. Good to see you guys. Good morning to you. And uh, while you're over there, please subscribe to that channel. Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then finally, we're over on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there. Uh, back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live. is where, And I don't know why this does this. I get the ads sometimes, and I haven't changed any settings or whatever. Anyway, um, right up under that, on the right side of the page, is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, some, some of you may see ads there on the sidebar. Just scroll down until you get to that. That's going to be the first thing. That is our email newsletter. It goes out once a day, late afternoon, early evening. All the articles we have at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the morning show archive. And, of course, you guys can can check out some of those things <clears throat> that we do have there at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com as well. <clears throat> our store is available. The link is at the top of the page. Also get there by going to the Sons of Liberty. Dot squarespace.com. Don't forget the the sons of liberty. Squarespace.com. All the profits are pointing the front. This is Bradley's new book. So if you guys are interested in picking that up, if you haven't done it yet, it's ten dollars in the store. We also have Soldier of the Cross. That was Bradley's first book of the year, twenty twenty three. Uh, this is the second one, and uh, we also have the bundle there still. The Soldier of the Cross book. The artwork from that on the shirt with the Peter Muhlenberg quote on the back. 
And then also the dog tag of your choice, black or silver, starts at $34. It goes up a little bit depending on your shirt size. Okay. All right. So be sure and check those out. All the profits for pointing the front is out. Uh, go ahead and grab that up. Grab the Soldier of the Cross. I read Soldier of the Cross. I haven't read this one yet. Um, and I, this is just, if you don't, I'm going to tell you, if you don't know Bradley Dean, if you've never listened to Bradley Dean, this is Bradley Dean. This, the, 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 the imagery, the scripture references, um, the communication of what's been going on there from the natural to the spiritual, that's Bradley Dean. It's, it's pure Bradley Dean. That's what you're going to get. And uh, the way he communicates things, uh, the Word of God. And so be sure and pick that up. Uh, it's only $10, and um, yeah, you'll encourage yourself. Uh, you'll be challenged uh, because Bradley's not one of those guys that lets you slide just a little bit with your sin. It's like, nah, you got to cut it all off. you got to mortify the deeds of the flesh, the way the, way the Bible says, uh, with, um, <clears throat> with the Apostle Paul. By the way, let me, let me just say something about that. Many people don't know Bradley. They don't. All they know him from is a radio show where he is preaching. They don't know the man. They don't know the love that he actually demonstrates. Now, he doesn't need me to say this. He's told me, I don't need you to defend me in this and the other. Well, this isn't about defending. This is about just telling people the truth who don't know. They, they really don't. Um, before even we started working... Uh, you know, Bradley and his family showed love for me and my family in a number of ways. And so I, I can tell you, it's not just, and it's not just me. I know there are other people that he's done that for. And just because he's hard on your case doesn't mean he doesn't love you. We're going to look at some of that with what, how God deals with his children. Oh my goodness. You know, we're in a day uh, that's been called Valentine's Day. You got your Valentine, your sweetheart, Right. And, of course, we're taught in the culture, very much like the Greek culture, that our love is to be this <clears throat> uh, sort of eros love. You know, in the Greek, there's, there's three different words there for love. Um, and our culture wants to p- promote the physical, the, the sexual, the sensual, right? Um, and the Bible does speak to those things. I'm not saying it doesn't speak to that. I mean, obviously, God created... Uh, man and woman, and he brought them together in marriage, and there's a purpose in uh, sexual relations there that demonstrate love, and that produces children, and the children are a, a demonstration, or they're, they're a picture of the love between the man and the woman. Um, that's true. But love is so much more than that. And we're going to take a look at some of that this morning, and hopefully dispel the myths that we get. Now, again, sometimes you're going to get, uh, you know, I, I'm playing music at the first uh, in the pre-show. And I had it set up to play Jeff Moore in the distance, um, if you could see what I see. I sang that to my wife for our wedding. Yes, I love to sing. I'm just not very good at it. And uh, I sang that to her. And that was the song that was coming on at the end. Really good words, guys. If you're going to have a dinner with your wife tonight, maybe you want to put that on for a little ambiance. That's just a little tip here. Um, <laughs> but in any case, <clears throat> real love is demonstrated, is it not? It's not so much felt as it is done. They used to have a, uh, a song out years ago, a uh, Christian band, and they sang, love is a verb. That's exactly right. Love is a verb. It's, a do, it's, an, it's an action verb. Uh, it is not the touchy-feely. And see, that's where we get in today, where the emotions get pl- 
played with to string people along instead of the demonstration of the love. <clears throat> I'm going to give you this example, and uh, and then we're going to go we're going to go to the scriptures because our, our foundation the Constitution doesn't speak about love. Why? Because government does not love. It, it has no capacity to love. Okay, government doesn't do that, but individuals do. And uh, what we're te- what we're being told by politicians now is we have to love these people. We have to send them your money, not ours. We're not going to reach into our pocket. We're going to reach into yours. We're going to give them your money. We're going to call it love. And then we're going to, what's even more blasphemous is to look to the scripture and start quoting scripture as for government's love for people. That there, there is the real hypocrisy there. It really is. So let's start here in 1 John. We, I, I've got several passages. And uh, by the way, if you want to call in, you can do that. If you want to add something to the conversation, please stick to the topic, okay? Don't call in and talk about anything else. We're talking about love, and specifically a biblical love. A biblical love. 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. I know some of you guys probably have some questions, especially regarding my particular theology and how I see the scriptures laid out with things uh, with regard to love. And, um, you know, sadly, there are many people who don't understand what real love is, and they don't understand the love of God either. And what they do is they take their definition, this peanut buttery, syrupy, maple kind of milk toast, um, you know, amorphous kind of love, and just spread it everywhere. And that's not biblical love. That's not. That may be a Budweiser kind of love, which is no love at all, um, but it's not biblical love. And so we want to look to that. We want to look to our foundations as to what real love is demonstrated in, okay? So, with that said, I'm going to go over to 1 John, and we're going to pick up the context of the verse from our ministry, which is 1 John 3.18. All right, so here it is. And <clears throat> here's what we read beginning in verse 14. Now, if you want to go back and read the whole chapter, in fact, I recommend you read 1 John. Boy, if you want something, if you want something that will settle down inside of you, take 1 John. It's only, what, five chapters. Um, take 1 John, read it through for the rest of this week, read it once a day, and into next week. And see if it doesn't change your perspective on that. On this whole issue of love, I think it'll change, it should change your issue on whether or not you're okay with your sin, which is the violation, the transgression of God's law. But listen to what, what John writes. And remember, John is the disciple who refers to himself not by the first name, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, wait a minute, John. Didn't he love the other disciples? Yeah, he loved the disciples. But John is one who recognizes that he saw the God of creation clothe himself in flesh and come down and love him. And I think this is one of the issues of why Jesus, when he's at the cross, when he looks down and sees his mother, who's standing there with his mother? The disciple that he loved, John. And he said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. He wanted John to, take, to love his mother, and he knew he would love his mother when he was gone in the same manner that he did. <clears throat> And I think that's I think that's very interesting. I mean, I really do. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, Asa, John three sixteen. We could go there too. I could. Uh, I didn't pull that one up 
but we can probably get to that maybe in this hour. We'll see. All right, so let's listen to what John says. Verse 14, and John is pretty black and white. If you want to argue with what he's saying here, and you go, well, well, you want to stutter through trying to give excuses, just be quiet and admit your sin, and then ask God to turn your heart. Ask him to turn your heart, because you're only going to, you're going to have your heart turn. You're going to really love when, when you understand that he's demonstrated that to you first. So listen to what he says. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Let me ask you something. Do you love the brethren? I'm talking about your Christian brothers. Or are you always nitpicking at them? Are you always backbiting them? Are you going about them? Do you despise being around them? Do you hate it when they succeed? That's not love. He says, we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, don't call yourself a believer who lives in the life. Jesus said he is the way, the life, the truth, the way, and the life, right? So don't say that you're living when you're hating your brother. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Mm. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So he, he lays that out there pretty well, doesn't he? Do you hate your brother? Or don't tell me about loving God if you've got hate in your heart towards your brother. Oh, yeah, well, you don't understand him. I, yeah. John says if you hate your brother in your heart, what's going on? You're, you're committing murder. Isn't this what Jesus said? He's just reading the words that Jesus said. You hate him in your heart without a cause. <clears throat> he said, whoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Oh, Tim, I thought I was going to get like Cupid and diapers and little arrows and hearts and stuff today. Nope, you're not getting that today. You can get the truth. God tells us the truth even about our own selves. Even when we don't want to hear it, he tells it. And the the proper thing is to do is to to close our mouth and to acknowledge that he is telling us the truth. Here's what he says. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we perceive God's love? Because he laid down his life for us. Wait a minute. Who laid down his life for us? God did. That's what John is saying. Again, he's referencing Jesus as God. He does that all in the first chapter of John, the gospel. And he says, God laid down his life. Now, he's not talking about, you know, somehow God died. That's not what he's saying. The physical body of Jesus died, but the Bible tells us that he was alive in the spirit, and he went to preach his victory message to the spirits who were in prison. You can see this in Ephesians 4. You can see this over in the book of Jude. This is what he did. When he gave up the ghost, and he gave it up. They didn't take it from him. He laid down his life. Remember, uh, he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. Right? Okay? So, <clears throat> he comes along, and here's what else we see. Here what, hereby we per- perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And what? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Why? Why? Because John also tells us that we're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, right? What did Jesus tell the people who listened to him? He says... He said, um, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Demonstrate your love for your your brethren and for God. And taking up the instrument of death and walk the road I've walked. 
Walk to your death. Walk to the place where you're going to give up everything. Okay? Walk to the place where you're going to give up everything. He says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Oh, see, here's where the rubber meets the road. How many of you guys out there, how many of you seen somebody who is in need and you just feel bad about it, but you don't go help meet the need? Is that love? Especially when you have the, the means to meet it. If you don't have the means to meet it, that's one thing. But when you have the means to meet it and you see somebody in need, you close up your bowels of compassion, as it says here. This is the same thing James talks about in James chapter 2. How does that work? How does the love of God dwell in you? Mm. Well, I think the implication is that it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh, Tim, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Oh, Tim, I received Jesus. Oh, I follow him. Really? Okay, how's that being demonstrated? How is your following the Lord being demonstrated? It should be evidenced in our love for one another. That's what it should be evidenced in, right? Okay, so let's go back to this, and here's our verse for the ministry here. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. It's not about saying I love you. Everybody likes to hear that, don't we? And we do say it to each other. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with saying it, okay? But he said, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. All right, this one's for the ladies out there. How many of you ladies, I'm sorry, somebody called and I missed it because I don't have my phone in here and I'm having to look at this other page for that. So if you want to call back in, uh, please do so. Um, I'm sorry I missed your your call here. but I'll, I will pick you up if you call back in. Um, I'll try to look at it. I'll keep it on this page uh, if you're calling back in. Uh, otherwise, it's a spam call. And I don't think it's a spam call, not at this time of morning. Usually, they don't start till 8. And I just answer the phone for the spammers of, quit calling my phone. <laughs> okay? All right. So, John tells us that we're supposed to do that. And then he lays out this, too. Look at verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Why? Why is that? It's because we've we've loved we've we've forsaken the sin, we've loved him more than our own sin and our own selves. Okay. He says, and whosoever we ask, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Oh, Tim, are you talking about work salvation? No. Again, I, I don't know what's hard for people to follow here, but I do think there's there's something that's going on with um, what I refer to as dispensationalism, which removes uh, you know who the real Israel is. It removes what the law of God is and how it continues on and things of this nature, but. We keep his commands. Why? Because because he loved us, and because we see a demonstration of that love, we want to demonstrate our love towards him. That's what's going on. And he finishes, and he says, and do those things which are that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and 
love one another as he gave us commandment, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. All right? Okay, so we got a caller on the line, and a caller, are you there? Hey, Tim, how you doing today, brother? Good, how are you, man? Ah, uh, you know me. <laughs> What's going Keeping on? My head down. So, yeah, speaking of walking in the path, so I can give you some prime examples. Now, I'm not a perfect man. I'm a sinner. Okay? However, when the convid hoax started and the baby food shortage hit, I was taking cases to my local churches. Hmm. On two separate occasions, I have seen people on the side of the road with signs saying they're hungry. One person was a veteran. One person was an illegal immigrant. I brought them to my home. I went into my food stores and I gave them enough food to feed them for a week. Amen. And I got into an interesting discussion with the young illegal as I'm giving him food was calling me a racist because I'm against illegal immigration. (laughs) So I put it to the young man like this. I said to him, I said, young man, you live with a family here. Are there children in the home? Hmm. He says, yes, there are. I said, okay, do you want someone knocking on your front door or kicking in your back window? And he says, well, I want them knocking on the front door. So I explained to him, this country is my children's home. I want them safe when they are out playing and on the streets. All that the American people are asking is that you knock on the front door, not kick the back door in. That's right. It's pretty. It's a pretty simple thing, um, what we call down here down south about manners and respect. And uh, sadly, there's many people who don't have that. Uh, they don't have any respect for anybody else or their things, and um, so they don't have any love. Children don't even have respect for themselves these days. That's right. That's often what it is. You're exactly right. You know, and the young man, once I said that, he kind of cocked his head off to the side, and he was like, you know, I never looked at it like that. Yeah, a lot of them aren't looking at it like that because they see their friends doing the same thing, and so they're encouraged yes, in it, and they're in, they're encouraged in their 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 lawless behavior and uh, you know i don't sit there and try to judge the intents of their heart the only time i would end up trying to do something like that i would still be looking for external evidence but would be like in a murder trial you're trying to find is there evidence that this guy actually hated the person but what you're doing in this is you're showing them look this is what real love looks like and what you guys are engaged in is not love it's not love for your fellow man it's not love for the law or any of this other stuff it's a love for yourself you, you love Absolutely. yourself in your sin in that way. You want what you can get out of life and what you can get out of the deal, but you don't care how it hurts other people. Absolutely. And as the young man was sitting there calling me a racist, I still fed him because <laughs> it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Amen. Amen. No, mm-hmm. that's a demonstration so, yeah. of love. I Thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah. God bless everyone. Yeah, you too. Stay strong. Hey. Stay strong, keep the faith, and continue to don the full armor of God. God bless everyone. Amen. Thank you, brother. 
All right, there he goes, and uh, thank you for the call. Appreciate that very much. I will try to keep it on this instead of looking at. I got to bounce back and forth between between two screens to see it because I don't have my phone that will usually light up and say, "Hey, somebody's calling," and that helps me a lot. So uh, I'll try to look back and forth. But thank you for the call, and that's exactly right. We've got to demonstrate our love. But I, the, the question is for the believer: Why do you love? Why do you love God and why do you love man? I can tell you it's one place. We're going to look at the whole chapter here in just a second. But I can tell you it's from this. We love him. Him who? God. God who clothed himself in flesh and came in the person of Jesus Christ. We love him because he first loved us. Now, I'm going to tell you, this drives me batty. The people that want to talk about how powerful they are with their quote-unquote free will and their abilities and all of this other stuff. And they really whittle down the grace and the work of God in Jesus Christ in their life by doing that. I'm just telling you, you do. You do. Why do we love God? Because he loved us. He demonstrated it to us. And he put it within our hearts, what Christ purchased for us. That's why we do what we do. And we're going to look at 1 John 4 here in just a little bit. But I want to go through a couple of passages and um, you know, one of the one of the big ones uh, comes here from uh, John chapter fifteen. And you remember Jesus is there with his disciples. We went over this before. Um, and listen, I, I just want you to kind of listen. These are his final words, if you will, uh, before his death. He's going to have more words to say after his resurrection. But before his death, these are some of the final words he says. Now, I think you can tell, at least in my experience, when I've read men's final words, you can tell a lot about a man by the words he says on his deathbed, it, you know, if he gets that opportunity. You can, t- you can tell a lot about a man as to what his final words, where his focus is. And here's what Jesus says. This is from John chapter 15. Again, we're all in John, except for one or two passages today. And remember, John is the disciple that Jesus loved. So he experienced the love of God in a, a, a physical manifestation in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's what Jesus said. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Or he, he's like a vine dresser. How many of you guys have... Uh, have you know little small vineyards? We've got a small one out here. My wife was um, trimming back the 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 vines um, the other day, and that's a lot of work, especially when they get to be as as old as ours are. We we've got uh, scumpernogs. Some of you guys may. I, I guess there's a differentiation between scumpernogs and muscadines. I used to call them the same thing, whether they were green or whether they were purple. But uh, really good grapes, probably the best grapes on the earth. Uh, that I can find, they're sweet. They're they're full of resveratrol, which is sort of an anti-aging kind of thing, and they're just they're great. I mean, they're great, uh, great grapes. But here's what he says: He says if the if the if the vine if the branch is not bearing any fruit, he prunes it back. He cuts it back. That's the idea of the purging here. Or in some cases, they're hanging down on the ground. We get some that do that too. They're hanging on the ground, and you don't want them to sit on the ground. So he props them up. He prunes them. He does whatever he's got to do to get them to produce fruit. And that's what it says, that they may bring forth fruit. That's why God does what he does. And sometimes the pruning process and the the purging process is not fun, 
But the results are what God wants, and that is that we bear fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. How many of you guys have, um, have been out to your vineyard, and you've cut off a branch? Now you can cut those little, those little branches off, and you can plant them in the soil, and they'll start another vine, right? You guys who, who have done that, you, you know what I'm talking about. But if you cut the branch off itself, and let's just go say you stick it in some water somewhere, and that's all you've got for it, is it going to bear any grapes? No, it's not going to do that. It's not attached to the vine. That's where it's getting all its nutrients. It's getting it out of the ground. It's getting it from the water that's in the ground. It's getting all of that stuff. It's getting the sunlight, everything around it that causes it to grow. If you deprive it from the vine, are you going to get some fruit? No. So it remains in the, in the vine. And he says as much here. He says, the same bringeth forth much fruit, he that abideth in me. Right? So, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Nothing. Not a little bit, not, you know, a, a portion. You do nothing apart from Christ. Let that sink in your head. Because I know there's all kinds of people out there who would tell you, you have the power within you, you are the divine all of this kind of stuff. No, no, no. We have the divine seed in us that was given to us in Christ. That's true. We've been partakers with him. We have been seated in the heavenlies. We have been made children of God. We've had all of that. But we're not the end all in and of ourselves. We're still attached to the vine. And the vine is Christ. Okay? The vine is Christ. So he goes on and he says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you don't want Christ, you're not going to bear fruit. You may think you're happy, but you know deep down inside, especially when you get by yourself, you're miserable. That's what sin does. It gives you pleasure for a season, the Bible says. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. If, it, if, if, if violating the law didn't, didn't bring some sort of satisfaction, sensuality, fun, whatever you want to call it, nobody would do it. But they do it. And the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, just for a little while. And then it shows you what it's really about. And it's out to destroy you. It's out to destroy you. He goes on and he says this, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Why? Because Jesus was bearing some fruit in his disciples, wasn't he? He was setting up for them what he wanted them to be. And then he says this. Oh, I know this is people the wrong way because you've been given a false gospel, okay? But I want you to listen to what he says. If ye keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, I don't know what's hard to understand about that. <clears throat> my wife and I have had t 10 kids. Um, some we've had to discipline more than others, and I'm talking about corporal punishment deal. Some you can, you can look at. You can look at them. You can give them the stink eye, if you will. Okay? 
if they're cutting up, if they're misbehaving or whatever, you give them that look like, I'm really disappointed with you. Stop what you're doing. And they'll stop and they'll correct themselves. Others, it takes, you know, I could tell you some stories. <laughs> because I never, I never liked discipline as a kid. I didn't like giving it as a father. Um, but I knew I had to. And so I would try to make it quick. I'd try to make it to the point. I wouldn't try to drag it out. I wouldn't try to hold it over my kids' heads or any of this. I'd give them the correction, give them what the Word of God says, pray with them, hug them, you know, give them their spanking. It was quick. It was out of the way just to get their attention and say, you know, Daddy does this because I do love you. And if you continue down this road and you're allowed to let this grow, you're going to really hate it when somebody else beats your head in out there and throws you in jail. Because you're acting a fool. And those things aren't pleasant, are they? Sometimes our love is not pleasant. Sometimes our love has to confront. Matthew 18, we've talked about this. It's awkward. It's not something you desire to do. But, you know, sin brings these kinds of things in. And we have to do it. But notice what he says here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Well, Tim, are you preaching work salvation? He's not talking about that at all. Quit mixing up the things. Slow your roll and think for a second. Most believers will look at me and they'll, they'll admit, <clears throat> Tim, we all deserve hell. Okay, then why do you have a problem with God's election? Why do you have a problem with God's predestination? If everybody deserves hell, what's wrong with God saving a few people that he wants to save? And setting his love upon them, not because of anything they've done, but just simply because he wants to demonstrate his grace through that. That's what Paul says he does. Romans chapter 9, Ephesians chapter 1, he sets his love upon us. This is why we love him, because he first loved us, right? 1 John 4. So, what does he tell us? Again, I, we're just going with what God says, not what I say about it, not what you say, not what Hollywood says about it, or the modern church. He says, if you keep my commands, you remain, you abide in my love. Even as I kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Are we supposed to walk as Jesus walked? Yep. If he saves us from our sin, are we to continue in it? Nope. And yet I see people, they'll talk about, it's almost with a glee that they can, they can just go ahead and sin, and Jesus just covers it all. He takes care of it all. Hmm. I... I don't know that Jesus. I don't know that scripture. Because he, he does teach us not to sin, to stop sinning. That's what he teaches us. The grace of God drives us towards that. Now, 1 John also tells us that if we do sin, we don't practice it. It's not a part of our life. If it's a part of your life that is just practice, you may want to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. But John does say, but if we do sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're going to confess that. We're going to admit it. We're going to repent from it. We're going to turn from it. Then he's faithful to forgive us. That's what he says. But if you're practicing it and you're still saying, Lord, Lord, guess what you're going to hear on the day of judgment? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7. You who practice it, um, depart from me and I renew you. So here's what, he, here's what he goes on to say in this passage. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy, my joy, might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, 
as I have loved you. Okay, now, notice Jesus is not telling his disciples, hey guys, I love you. That's not what he says. He says, my commandment is that you love one another as I have told you I love you. No, that's not what he says. As I have loved you. He's demonstrated it. And now he's going to demonstrate it to the full in just a few hours of these words. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, he's really going to blow their mind here. A man lays down his life for his friends. All of us have seen probably films, we've read books, we've heard stories where men give their lives without thinking to save families, friends, brothers in arms, whoever. Sometimes a stranger. Sometimes it's not a brother. Sometimes it's a stranger. They just give their life with no regard to themselves, but just trying to protect that life that's there. Listen, friends, that is the positive side of do not murder. You shall not murder. You shall not kill. That is the positive aspect of that. Yeah, don't take life, but look to preserve it. That's what men do. Jesus did that for his disciples. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if... Stop and listen. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. You say you're the friend of God? You say Jesus is your friend? Are you doing what he said, what he commanded you? Well, no, I, you know, I'm just a sinner to him. And I, you want to give all the excuses? That's not what he says. He says, you're my friend if you do whatsoever I command you. And he's telling this to the disciples. And then he says this, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. The servant's just there to serve the, the, the master um, as far as what the desires of the master are. But there's no real familiar relationship. Sometimes that can happen over extended periods of time, but usually that's not the case. The servants are kept separate from the family. They're distinguished separate from the family. And he says, I don't call you servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And then he says this. He, I'm going to close out right here, because we could keep going through this passage, but we're going to hit some other ones as well. Henceforth, or excuse me, he says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Ah, there's that. There's that pesky election and predestination that a lot of people don't want. Why? And why don't they want it? Because they want to think they're in control. They want to think that they're in control of their own destiny. It's very much like Timothy McVeigh wrote out. You know, a little poem about he's the captain of his own ship and destiny and all this stuff. It's very, you know, atheistic-minded. But here's what he says. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. 
You love one another. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, if the world loves you, well, then uh, no, it hated me. Or if it hated you, it hates me. If it loves you, you might want to question whether or not you're Christ because it hated him. And we're not talking about other believers loving one another. We're commanded to do that, okay? We're talking about the world itself, the world system. Those caught up in that system, they don't like the message that we have here at the Sons of Liberty. Why? Because it confronts their sin. It it confronts their false love. It confronts their false love. John chapter 11. Do you guys remember the story there with um, Lazarus? How he had died? And... um, Jesus waited, and he tried to explain to his disciples how Lazarus was really dead. He wasn't sleeping, and uh, he, he waited around because of the glory of God. God was going to demonstrate his own glory in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, this is what we read. When Jesus, therefore, remember, he comes to the grave. He's seen what's going on. He weeps himself. The shortest verse in the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. And I don't think he's weeping over the death of Lazarus. You've got to quit putting um, the mindset of a sinful man in that of Jesus when you read the text. Because I've heard people say this, oh yeah, he was crying because Lazarus was dead and everybody was... I don't think that's it at all. Jesus knew what he was about to do. What's the point of weeping over a dead man who's fixing to come to life? That doesn't make any sense. I think Jesus is weeping over the lack of faith that people have in him to understand who he is. Listen to what it says, beginning of verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, remember that what they would do is they would, they would pay like a, you know, kind of like what we do today. Um, when, when somebody dies, we pay a funeral home, and they get, you know, the cars and the procession. And, of course, you, nowadays, you know, you've got enough family in, in things, usually in friends, that there's enough, you know, weeping and stuff that goes on anyway. But they would bring in, quote-unquote, professional weepers, you know, funeral people, uh, at this time as well. And all the people are crying there around there. And Jesus shows up. He sees Mary and Martha. They've been there. Oh, Jesus, if you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. What great faith that is to say, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But then the lack of faith to not see he is here now and he can bring the dead to life. There's, there's, a, there's kind of a disconnect there as far as what's going on uh, in the text of John chapter 11. And then we read this. The Jews also weeping with which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. These guys were always getting it wrong. They were always getting it wrong. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Maybe they missed the part where he raised the the young man and gave him back to his mother. 
Maybe they missed all the other dead people that Jesus raised, that, you know, if, if all the books in the world, as John writes, you know, if all the things that Jesus did were written in the books, the, the whole world can contain the books of the things that he did and said. But we do have a list of things he did and said. And so we don't go off of what we don't know, we go off of what we do know. Speculation about things we don't know, or we don't have any evidence for, is unwarranted. In fact, we're told to stay away from that in the Scripture. So, here's what he says. Jesus, therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I always thought that was kind of... I'm trying to get the picture in my head. Go move that stone away. He stinketh. The old English there. He stinketh. That's what she's saying. He's already been in there four days. And keep in mind, Lazarus has been in there four days. Jesus said he's coming back in three. All right? And he's been saying that before this, this text here as well. He's been telling the disciples warning them, getting them ready for those kinds of things. And, um, and this is what went on. He stinketh. He's been dead for four days, Jesus. And then listen to what Jesus says to her. Jesus said unto her, said, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, if you just believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Just believe me, Martha. Quit weeping. Quit making excuses. Go doing what I said to do. Go roll that stone away. Get, get it open. And quit thinking like the rest of the people around you. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing. He's gently, you know, encouraging his sister and the Lord, Martha, here, to do the right thing. Just go obey me. See how that works? And then he took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, his eyes and said Father, I thank thee, that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. Now are you getting the reason why he was weeping? It wasn't about Lazarus. It was about the people. They were without faith. That, thou may, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He wants the people to believe. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud... He didn't just say, Lazarus, come forth. That's not what he did. Like in a prayer tone towards the Father. That's not what he did. He shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And so preachers have said, if he hadn't named the name, everybody in the grave would have come out. That may be. I don't know. But he's very specific about Lazarus. And I'll tell you what, that goes right in with the other things that we've talked about, about God's election, his predestination. He is the one who is free. God is free. Not man. Man is bound in his sin, and he needs a free God to set him free, and he can only do that in Christ Jesus. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him, and let him go. And I see a picture of the Christian life here, at least the beginning. We get a new birth. We go from death into life, John says. We're going to see that in just a little bit. We go from death into life in Christ. 
And what happens? We still got grave clothes on. We got to rip those off. This is what Paul talks about, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Sanctifying ourselves or setting ourselves apart in every area of life where God puts his finger on. Oh, you need to get rid of that. You need to put this in. You need to sort that out with your brother. All these kinds of things. That is the grave clothes. We've got to throw those things off. And we've got to walk in newness of life, as the scripture says. I'm going to hit some of these real quick. We may go over just a few minutes, but I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to, try to do this. Look, Jesus even had love for those who were looking for eternal life, and then they turned away. He had a certain kind of love for him. Uh, you guys remember this rich young ruler. This comes from Mark chapter 20, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. There's a certain element of love in what he's doing. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now I'm going to tell you, that's an area where the Lord is dealing with me in my speech about me saying, Boy, that food was good. That, this, that, and the other was good. And I started thinking about it, and certain things are not good. They may be entertaining, they may be done well, but they're not good as God defines good. And so I, I got to tell you, that's an area even with my own speech that I'm dealing with right now because I've been so trained to call things that aren't necessarily good, good. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Remember, this guy has asked him what he needs to do to have eternal life. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. This young man had obviously tried to look out for himself, tried not to violate the law of God externally. I guess he left his mind and his heart sort of intact with its sin, but he tried to obey externally. Kind of like what Paul did, and he writes about that as well. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Stop and think about that a second. He loved him, and how did he love him? He said unto him the truth. He's going to tell him the truth. And, and some people have a hard time with love being a truth teller, but this is what he does. He says, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And the Bible says, he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He loved his stuff more than he loved God, and definitely more than he loved his fellow man. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom? It's not that a rich man can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But they lay hold of the affections of the heart, don't they? All the stuff that we get. Even if we don't think we have a lot of stuff, sometimes that stuff lays hold of our affections of our hearts and it steals our love from God and towards our fellow man. It really does. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Oh, Jesus, man, this guy was asking for it. Why didn't you give him the, won't you walk that aisle? Oh, won't you walk? Won't you come? Why don't you give him the Billy Graham gospel? That would have brought him in. I mean, he was right there, Jesus. All you had to do was reel him in. 
And Jesus is like, guys, he doesn't even have the hook in his mouth. He doesn't understand what's going on. He just loves his stuff. He just loves his stuff. And Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? And there he lays in the idea of trust. If you're trusting in riches, it's really hard to trust in God, isn't it? Because you think you're doing it all on your own. That's why I continually, if, if somebody gives a compliment, if somebody gives money, if they help me out in some way, you know, I always, I thank them, but I always direct my thanks back to the Father. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, the only people I tell about when I, when I talk about asking for a need to be met, when I actually ask for that, the only person I tell is God. You guys may hear that I'm having all kinds of stuff that's going on, but I ask God. And that way, when that answer comes, I really only have one place to give thanks. Now, I'll give thanks if I know somebody has helped, but I always give thanks to God. I always want to give Him the glory because it isn't about me and it isn't about you. It's about Him. And we should direct that glory to Him because we love. Because we love. All right. Uh, let me see if I can get a couple more in here, and then I'm going to read John chapter 4. We'll probably go over a little bit because we only got about a minute and a half. But here's what he says. Just again, you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you want to know what real love is, then you hear from the source of love. Why? Because the Bible says that God is love. Not that he just loves, but that he is love. This is 1 John chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that's Christ, that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love God, if you love Jesus, if you love the Father and you love the Son, then you can know that he loves you. But again, love is demonstrated, right? The same John wrote this earlier in his epistle. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. How is that working out in the modern church where they say, oh, no, 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 we don't have to keep commandments. We don't, we don't have to obey God. We just have to believe. Well, what is believing? What is believing? It's the response to what the truth is. If you believe a car is coming in your lane, are you going to get off the road or are you going to keep going down through there and knowing it's going to hit you? Stop and think about that for a second. What does your belief do? If it just stays in your head, if it just stays in your heart, it's not doing very much good. It's got to produce actions. Bradley, be with you at 3. We'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. And uh, if you'll jump over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, beforeitsnews.com, or Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, we'll finish. All right, going to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Again, 1 John chapter 5. Notice what he says. We love God and we keep His commandments. That's how we demonstrate that we love the children of God. That's how we demonstrate that we are the children of God, by loving one another. And again, it's not this, you know, syrupy, you know, Budweiser kind of love. I love you, man. No, it's not with words. It's with actions. How many of you have people that you can help? Little things. Maybe it's canning. Maybe they got to move from one place to another. Maybe they're sick and they just need somebody to come sit with them and care for them. Maybe do a couple of things around the yard or the house, whatever. And you have the ability to do it. You might even have 
the tools to do certain things and this and the other, and you refuse to do that, is that love for your fellow man? Is that love for your brother? Is it love for God? Only you can answer this. I, I'm just bringing out scenarios here. Where's real love? How's it demonstrated? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. Beginning at verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And then he says this, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And what's interesting is, Paul talks about the Thessalonians, I think it's in chapter 1, we references that he's heard about their faith in all the world. These guys were, were known across all of Asia Minor and into the Roman Empire. And what were they known for? They were known for their love for one another and for their abandonment of their idolatry. That's what they're known for. They have genuine faith that, that forsook the things they were engaged in, the idolatry they were engaged in, and now they have love for God and love for one another. Hmm. That's real born-again people right there. They've really been changed. And I know, I know there's some of you out there who listen to me, you've had the same experience as I had. Some guys preach hellfire and brimstone and you get this thing in your head and it's just like, oh, save me from hell. And you don't know anything about new birth. You don't care anything about loving God, loving your man. Any of that stuff is just, I don't want to go to hell. I know, I know where that is. And I know the responses you give is whatever the hireling tells you um, that you've got to do, you've got to say the magic mantra, whatever you want to do. They call it the sinner's prayer and all this stuff. But you know what? A sinner's prayer comes from their heart, a renewed heart, by the way. I'm going to tell you. It's a renewed heart that cries out for that. It, because it's come alive, because it's awake to its own sinfulness and its own depravity and the judgment of God upon it, it cries out for mercy when the Spirit of God comes along takes out the heart of stone, puts in the heart of flesh. That's what, that is the response to what God has done. He's done a heart transplant on you. And you want it. You desire it, whereas before you didn't desire it. This is why we love him, because he loved us first and he transformed us. He didn't ask Lazarus permission to call him out of the grave, did he? Nope. He just said, get out of here, boy. Now I'm going to tell you, this is how ridiculous men are to steal God's glory. This is, how, uh, this is how ridiculous they are. Pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. When we planted the church over here in Gastonia, North Carolina, I remember we were doing a catechism lesson uh, for Sabbath school. Right? We, we did catechism lessons. Uh, we wrote out things so that fathers had things during the week that they could read certain texts uh, that backed up what we were going through with the question and answer, and they would do that with their families. And then on Sunday, we would come in and we would teach that you know, as a whole. And usually what we were doing was we were, uh, as families, we were memorizing entire passages and reciting the passages together. It was a great, it was very edifying 
uh, to learn Ephesians uh, chapter 1 together, uh, Exodus chapter 20, Genesis chapter 1, several of these, you know, it took a long time to learn all those verses together and to cite them as families together. It was, it was great. It was very edifying to do that. But we had a time where we were teaching on the golden chain of redemption. If you guys remember that out of Romans chapter 8 uh, and then following into Romans chapter 9, uh, we see that kind of carried out. We see Paul expound about that. We talk about the golden chain of redemption, God's work in the life of the sinner to make them a saint, to conform them to the image of Christ. And I remember speaking about that. We had visitors that day. I think it was a man and his woman, and I think they had a little boy. They might have had two little boys. I'm not sure. So after I'm done teaching that, and then the other elder came up, and he had the sermon for that week, um, we, we, were, we usually would stay for three, four, five hours. We'd eat together. We'd share a meal together. We'd have a topic. We'd sit around the table and kind of get, you know, whatever the men are thinking about, whatever they've been looking at in the scriptures and stuff like that, and just kind of try to build one another up in that way. And before we get to the lunch table, this guy comes up to me and he goes, you know, you need to be careful with that predestination stuff. You know, that can get a little dangerous. and You know, you, you don't want to attack man's free will. And I said, can you show me man's free will in the scriptures? Because I can show you the exact opposite where he's bound in his sin, whatever he submits himself to, he's a slave of, including sin or righteousness, whichever one he's going to do. And I said, so men, you know, the Bible talks about ye, can the leopard change his spots? Then you who are accustomed to do evil, you know, you're, you're stuck in the same way. And this is why Jeremiah would weep in the book of Lamentations, and he would tell the, he would cry out and he would say, God, if you will turn us, we will be turned. Jeremiah knew that men were responsible. That wasn't the issue. He recognized men didn't have the ability to do what God had done because of the fall, how it affected them. And so he cries out for God to have mercy to give to them what he demands of them. That's a far cry from the gospel today that just says Jesus loves you and have a plan for your life. And if you just kind of tack Jesus on there, onto your life, then all will be, all will be well. That's not what the gospel is. Now, the gospel holds up the law. It allows the law to slay you. And then it comes along with the message of regeneration, the new birth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To believe on Him, not just with your head, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, everything, you're to love Him. So, He comes down and He says this, For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. Huh. I know about you guys. I know about you guys. And then he throws this in too. Notice this. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Don't just stay where you're at. Your love for all these brethren in Macedonia, don't just stay there. Increase that love that you have for the brethren. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Hmm. Love costs you something. Cost Jesus' life. Cost the disciples, many of them, it cost them their lives. They gave their lives at giving this message to the people of their day. 
And throughout history, our brothers and sisters, even today, there are many who are testifying of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They're testifying of that, and in some cases, they're sealing it with their own blood. That's how much they love God and how much they love their fellow man. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. First John chapter 4. Uh, again, First John is mostly where we're at because, again, John recognized himself. He, he, he designated himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And here's what he says. I want to go over here just so we have a good context together. And again, this is in contrast to what the world tells you love is. Today, Valentine's Day, what, is, what does the world tell you love is? Well, it's chocolates, it's hearts, it's teddy bears, it's uh, Hallmark, you know, romance films, and it's, you know, whatever else that's going on out there. Some people will tell you it's just about sex. Some people will tell you uh, it's about, you know, hedonism or whatever the case may be. But the Scripture says something different. So here's what we read. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Well, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. It's exactly what I'm talking about. There are many false spirits, false prophets, that go out into the world and they redefine what love is. Yeah, they do that. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. All you people wanting to pin the tail on the Antichrist, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't care who you are. This nonsense about Prince Char or King Charles is the Antichrist, or William is Prince William is the Antichrist, or Juan... What's that guy's name over there? In, he used to Juan Carlos over there in Spain. He's the Antichrist, or the the guy Gutierrez leaving, leading up the United. He's the he's the Antichrist, or Ted, Terrorist Teddy. He, will you quit doing that? You're not going to figure it out. <laughs> You're just not going to do it. My Bible tells me in First John and Second John the only place that Antichrist is mentioned is that an Antichrist is someone who rejects that Jesus is God in the flesh. If they reject that, they are an antichrist. I don't care what religion they are. I don't care what how you know flowery their language is, what kind of political clout they've got. I don't care if they're big in the Christian community. If they're doing that, they are an antichrist. Period. That's it. That is it. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is it in the world. What? What what is he talking about? The spirit of antichrist. You've heard it will come. It's, it's almost like there's a gossip about this. That, that's, that's the way he's talking, because the rest of the time he doesn't mention, he doesn't even point to an individual. He's just talking about, this is what Antichrist is. It's people who hold a certain doctrine against the Incarnation. That's what they're doing. Year of God, little children have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. But we are of God. Notice the pronouns he uses here. They, we, little children, all of these kinds of things. Keep that in mind as you're reading. Those little words give us transition that he's not saying the same thing to everybody inside and outside the church. He's not doing that. 
He has a message for that he's communicating to the people in the church, but he often references those who are outside of it. Okay? He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me ask you, friend out there. When they're talking about love, they're actually talking about doing. What have we read? You keep my commandments. You keep my commandments. You keep my commandments. You keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. It's all in there. And you're not keeping the commandments to win God's favor, His grace, His mercy, or anything. You're doing it because He's already given that to you. You see, you keeping His commandments is love for God and love for your fellow man. Did you not pay attention to what Jesus said? What's the greatest commandment? To love God. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all of the law and the prophets. Why? The first table of the law is love towards God. The second table of the law is love towards your fellow man. You want to see if somebody's demonstrating their love? Go to the law of God and then put that up against what you see in their life. What's coming out of their mouth, what's, what their actions are doing. You, you, you look and see, and you'll see whether the person actually loves or whether they just talk much of love but don't love at all. That's the difference. And I've had people call me a legalist. Now, I used to think I know what that term was. I just, I reject the whole concept now. Okay, I reject it. You are either one who loves God and loves your man be, and loves your fellow man because God has changed your heart. He's given you the new birth. You've been regenerate. You've received the grace and the mercy of God, or you do not because you didn't receive it. See, that is the response of the person that God deals with, that he sets his love upon. And what do those people do in return? They love him because he loved them first. I don't know what's confusing here. I really don't. But I explain this to people, and I still get people going, but but you're saying people are saved by their works. I'm not saying anything even close to that. What in the world? You can't save yourself by your works. Why? Because you've already broken the law in every way you can break it. You've already broken God's law, even in your thoughts and the intents of your heart, your deeds that you've done, with the words you say, or the inaction that you perform. You've already broken His law. Why would I tell you, well, if you just do a couple of good deeds, you're right in there. But that's what Rome will tell you, and that's what other religions will tell you. You know, your good's got to outweigh your bad. No, no, no. The Christian message is completely different than every other world religion. It says that our God came and gave himself so that we might have his righteousness. He died in our place because everybody knows, and they'll pick certain things in the law, and they'll eventually come to one that they agree on the death penalty. They'll tell you they're against the death penalty. But boy, you start giving some scenarios, you start pulling on the heartstrings with talking about little kids getting kidnapped and raped and murdered and all this other. And then all of a sudden they start changing their mind. They go, oh yeah, I believe in death penalty. I'd, I'd do that. Well, wait a minute. Let's not be 
people who are responding based on our emotion. Let's be people who respond based on the truth. And there is a difference. Sometimes the truth can bring emotion with it. I'm not saying it won't. But let's stick with the truth. So, what does John go on and he says? He says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Now, notice what he says here. In this was manifested. It, it, it comes out of us. It, it shows itself. It manifests itself. It doesn't just remain in the mind or in the heart. It's not just a feeling. You may have feelings. You may not have feelings when you love somebody. Okay? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's real love. God didn't have to do that. He could just let us go in our sin and just laugh at us all the way along to damnation. I mean, He could have just done that, but He didn't do it. He demonstrated His love, sending His Son to take away their sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Isn't that right? How many of you got some people that you just hate and you despise, but yet you call yourself Christian? I don't know. You got brothers, you're backbiting, you're gossiping, you're talking about them behind their back. That's not love, that's hate. That's hate. And don't sit here and try to justify it with me because you're not going to get anywhere. Some of you are stealing from your employer. You're embezzling, however you want to do it. It may not be a Bernie Madoff kind of sum that you're doing. That's hate. That's not love. Some of you are coveting other people's houses, their cars, their wives, their husbands, their children, their property. That's not love. That's hate. Some of you hate people in your life, you wish if you could get away with it that you could just end their life and you never had to deal with them. That is not love. That is hate. That's hate. Don't tell me about you got the grace of God, but you don't obey him. You know nothing of the grace of God if it hasn't directed you away from your sin and toward obeying the Lord. You know nothing about that. And I don't say that looking down my nose because I know there's been a lot of false teachers who've taught this stuff. They, I had it taught to me. It's not the gospel. If you've been told the gospel is to walk an aisle, pray a prayer, get baptized or whatever, and it doesn't matter if your life has changed at all, you have been given a damned, a goddamned gospel. Read Galatians 1. He calls it that. If you bring any other gospel other than the one I preach, even if it's an angel from heaven that does it, you, that person's anathema. So is the gospel that they're preaching. It's not a gospel. God damns that kind of stuff, and he damns the preacher for preaching it too, by the way. 
That's what that term anathema means, damned, cursed. He's a castaway. As Paul said in Romans, he wished he could be a castaway. He wished he could be accursed. He wished he could face the wrath of God for the, for his, for the sake of his countrymen. That's how much Paul absorbed the love of God towards him that he wanted to reflect it back out to his countrymen. That's why he was willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect, the ones that God had set up beforehand. He was going and preaching the gospel to all these people, hoping that God would do for them what he had done for him. That's real love. That's real love. That's real love. Let's continue on. 1 John chapter 4. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And you guys ever had somebody that you thought may be hard to love? Maybe they look a certain way, or they talk a certain way, or they interject certain things that just kind of grates on you. You ever had those kind of people? But then the Lord teaches you how to love them and embrace them, even just become the best of friends with those people? That's the work of God. That's not a work of you. (laughs) That's the work of God in the midst of it. He dwells in us. Those of us who love, He dwells in us. And He perfects that love in us. In fact, He goes on and He talks about perfect love is that which drives out fear. Okay? We're going to get to that by the time we get to the the end of the chapter here. Here's what He says. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There is no other Savior besides Jesus the Son, the Son of God, whomever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And that idea of confession is not just something you say with your mouth. It's something you actually believe. It's demonstrated in your works. I mean, that goes in the context of what he said before, keeping his commands. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. Listen, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Now, where where have you heard that word before? Torment. Not torture, torment. Oh, yeah. The weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? They'll be tormented day and night in the presence of the Lamb and of the saints, right? Yeah, some people don't think that you're going to be seeing the wrath of God. But that's not what the book of Revelation says. It says that we can see that. We see what we see and praise God for his justice in that matter. And John goes on, verse 19, We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. How many of you out there are hating your brother? but you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you're a liar. You're a liar. Don't tell me how much you love God and you hate your brother. I didn't say it. God said it. You, if you say you believe the Word of God is authoritative for all matters of life, faith, conscience, this is what it says, and you need to repent, and you need to ask God for that repentance. What, what He demands of you, you need to ask of Him to give you and be willing to turn. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, 
How can he love God whom he hath not seen? How are you loving God if you can't love that man or that woman that you can see? How do you love God who you can't? You can't. You can't do it. You really can't. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Today, when you're listening to what the world tells you love is, I hope you'll remember some of these texts that we've had. I hope you'll look over them. I hope you'll repent where you need to repent, that God will grant that. I really do. And I hope at the, at the forefront, as we're given time today, people are going to be talking to love. And they're going to be talking the eros kind of love, the sensual kind of love. They're going to be talking the touchy-feely kind of love. The love that doesn't demonstrate anything. They're going to be talking about all that kind of love. We need to open our mouths about real love. The God who is love, who demonstrated it, demonstrated it, demonstrated it. He didn't feel it. He didn't say it. He demonstrated it in sending his son for us. What did Paul say? God demonstrated his love for us in this. And he's specifically talking to believers. He's demonstrated his love in this, that he sent his son to die for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Are you laying down your life for your friends? Maybe in some cases you end up laying down your life for your enemies. Wow. I've read some stories in the past, Christian men giving their life for those who had not yet come to Christ, and in doing so, that was the catalyst to which God used their testimony, sealing it in their own blood, to win those people over. You never know. You never know what God is going to do there. Bradley, be with you at 3, and Lord willing, we're going to see you back here at 6 a.m. Go and love one another, even as Christ has loved you.